welcome to episode 135 of the Marvel Studios News Podcast. My name is Sean Gerber. I am joined, of course, by Paul Herman. How are you, Paul? I am I am very well. I have a couple of thanks I want to get out before we move on, Sean. Uh, one was, uh, he goes by Bruce Wayne. Uh, he sent me a, a, a gift card in, in the mail in response to me talking about not being able to see Far From Home because my wife was yelling at me for spending money. And it was a very very generous and i want to say thank you it was not it was not needed uh just my wife just likes to give me hassle for going spending money because i spend too much and so it was again it was a very very sweet gesture and it means a lot to me and you know i i hope i wasn't trying to look for sympathy or anything anything like that but uh but either way it was super awesome thank you bruce wayne whoever you are and uh you're awesome thank you and i also want to thank uh all the awesome uh discord people we have on our patreon we had an amazing show or not even show we just had hang out we were just hanging out and, yeah yeah and, well i'll uh, i'll jump in on that i want to say yeah go ahead thank you to everybody who you know was part of our discord watch party for avengers endgame but also thank you to voodoo for uh involving us in the voodoo viewing party for avengers endgame last week so as we talked about on our on episode 134 of the show we were able to give away 10 digital copies of avengers endgame in 4k uhd via voodoo which as i said during the show i mean that's the way i like to watch marvel movies now because that's the only way i can watch them in dolby vision on my uh, Dolby Vision compatible TCL Roku TV, uh, so thanks to, uh, really for Voodoo for being able for allowing us to give out copies to our, to fans of our show, to listeners of our show, people who follow us on social media as well as the website. Hopefully, we'll be able to bring other opportunities like that to all of you. Congratulations to everybody who won a copy of Avengers Endgame. And also congratulations to uh, Matty Feck, who's one of our listeners here and also on our Patreon. He actually won during the Voodoo Viewing Party the the Hot Toys Life Size Infinity Gauntlet, which is amazing. I know Maddie. Yeah, that's awesome. Maddie won that thing, man. It's like boy, Maddie. It's like nine hundred bucks, or no, it's more than that on Sideshow Collectibles, and he took that thing home. So congratulations on Woo. that, and thank you again, yes, to everybody who joined us on our Patreon. It's it is a Patreon exclusive, so just so you know what we're referring to. Uh, but we have our Marvel Studios News Discord. And we had a group there, and uh, we usually do office hours chats, and sometimes we do watch parties, and we knew that this Voodoo viewing party was going to happen. Uh, so as Paul and I were going to be live tweeting, we figured, well, let's go ahead and let's also have our live voice chat uh, with a watch party on the Discord. And we had a lot of people on there, very well attended, and it was just a great conversation. It's such a fun way to watch the movie. I know we've all seen Avengers Endgame a bunch of times by now, but it was just so cool to be able to watch that with fellow fans and and be able to talk through it, which normally I wouldn't talk during a movie, but we're all just watching it on mute with subtitles and just having having a lot of fun, uh, just geeking. Me. Yeah, <laughs> except for Paul on occasion. But we're just geeking out over this movie that we love so much, and, and that's the way. I mean, while my favorite way to watch it, at least initially, is to make sure I'm actually paying full attention to the movie. Uh, once I already know the movie by heart, which I pretty much do by now, it's fun to just be able to talk about it and uh, share all of that enthusiasm with our fellow Marvel fans. So thanks to every single one of you uh, who participated in that. Because I, I know, I, speaking for myself, and I'm sure for you as well, Paul, we just had an absolute blast on Friday night. No, we did. And it was so awesome being able to connect. And, and I, I have to go, I, I love the, the new community that we're really developing over there on the Discord. And it, I really mean that. Like, I'm not just saying it because i've been having fun we were you know in the open chat we're talking about you know gummy bears again my, my favorite more <laughs> gummy candy excuse yeah. me as, as i like to call it and just you know we're all just kind of just talking it's we're really building a great community and it's, it's been a lot of fun and it's it's been again 
we told them on on Friday, like, and I'll tell everyone now, it's it's kind of taken a life of its own in, in the best way possible. And I've just been really, really happy. And it's been like, no, like we haven't had to shut anyone down. Everyone's been super cool and nice and really, and one of the best things, super encouraging in the comic section, we've been talking about, you know, all the comics we're reading and always people are incur- you know, asking for, you know, where should I start? And people are, oh, start here, start here. Of course, I give my two cents, but, uh, you know, and everyone's given their two cents and, and everyone's really encouraging and like, there's no like judge- judgment because people are, are new to comics or whatever mm-hmm. or, or whatever. And just, again, there's no judgment and I just am like man like this is this is kind of what social media was like supposed to be I think at first and then it turns into this really nasty like thing if it's you know but thankfully like we have a little like a little little section here where people are just all hanging out having fun and really have a great community and it's really cool so I like I said you guys have kind of they've take the, the patrons have kind of taken it amongst the you know taken it themselves and have run what ran with it and we're just kind of hanging out and Kind of, you know, helping out here or there. It's been awesome. So you guys are awesome, and I love the community, and it's great. Yeah, it's a great community that we have over there. If you want to find out more information on joining our Discord community as well as getting a lot of exclusive content on our Patreon, I'll talk more about it later in the show, but just if you want to make note of it now, uh, you can find out all that info at patreon.com slash Marvel Studios News. Now, our main topic for this episode, we're actually going to be talking about it's it's sort of similar it's it's this own it's it's its own reflection of the end of an era for Marvel Studios is we also have what kind of feels like the end of an era for Marvel Television and we're going to be talking about that on the show we're kind of going to go through this era that really started in 2013 with Agents of Shield with the first season of Agents of Shield and where we are now and similar to what we've done in the past where we kind of go back through some of our initial feelings and just track the, how we felt about things as they've progressed over the past several years, like we've done in our Road to Infinity War series and some of the in the Endgame stuff. We've never really done that with Marvel Television, so we're going to do that on this week's show. But before we get into our main topic, we did have some news that came out not too long before we started recording this episode, and that is that according to Variety, Gemma Chan is in talks to join Marvel Studios for The Eternals. Now, Variety doesn't know for sure, but some of their sources suggest, and I believe this to be the case, that Gemma Chan is actually up for a completely different role, because as you'll remember, she just played Minerva in Captain Marvel. Now, spoiler alert, that character died in uh, 1995 of the Prime MCU timeline when she crashed during that final battle sequence as she was chasing down Maria Rambo and Nick Fury and everybody uh, in Captain Marvel. So the character's dead for almost 30 years now in the prime MCU timeline, although we don't necessarily know when all of the story or the main story of Eternals is set, but there's really no connection between Minerva and the Eternals in the source material, nor would I expect there to be a meaningful connection between Minerva and or the Kree even and the Eternals in uh, in this movie that's going to be coming out in November of next year. So I do believe this is a completely different character. And what is kind of funny about it is I was talking about it. It might have been on one of our office hour sessions on the Discord or during one of the Q&A shows I do over there. I can't remember exactly where I said it, uh, but I did actually say that it was almost a shame that uh, Gemma Chan might be out of the running for a role like this because she had just played Minerva, but I thought she would be a perfect fit. Well, I thought she would be great in the MCU, but I thought she would be a perfect fit for the character of Cersei. Now, 
Cersei is a character we talked about when we did our Eternals 101 show, so you can look that up on our feed here if you haven't uh, listened to it. But just to quickly summarize, Cersei is one of the main characters in most Eternals stories, and she is the one Eternals character. I don't know if she's the only one, but certainly the most prominent Eternals character who actually went on and became an Avenger for a number of years in the comic books. So this is a very popular character, as pop, basically as popular as it gets in the Eternals. None of them are all that popular, <laughs> but this is about as popular as it gets when you don't count for retconned Eternals like it, Star yep. Fox and, and Thanos. Like OG Eternals, uh, Cersei might be the most popular among them. And so this character has not yet been officially... We don't officially have any casting for this character. The trades had been reporting that Angelina Jolie was playing Cersei, but then as Kevin Feige announced at Comic-Con last month, she's playing Thena. So the role of Cersei, if she's in this movie, and we believe that she is, that's still open... And I feel like that's who Gemma Chan is playing. I might ultimately be wrong, but I think I would love it if she was playing Cersei because I think Gemma Chan, as I said, perfect fit for that role. But even if she's not Cersei, I still love that Gemma Chan is back in the MCU. I don't think audiences are going to be confused because and, and, and wondering, how is this actor playing two different characters in the MCU? Because it has happened before, but this would be the most high-profile case of that happening. But I don't think there's going to be that confusion because most moviegoers are not going to recognize her because she was covered in blue makeup in Captain Marvel. So if she appears as a character who's not wearing so much makeup, or even if she is wearing makeup in in uh, Eternals, as long as it's not blue makeup to make her look like Minerva all over again, I don't think audiences are going to be confused. And it gives Marvel Studios another opportunity to have this very, very, very talented actress come in and be and be a part of it. And but she is just so charming and so charismatic. I mean, that is Cersei to a T. So that's still what uh, that's still the role that my money's on. Yeah, this is. First of all, I loved Minerva in in the in the movie, and I just had to make a crush on on her. And she's beautiful. And I have to say that you know, Cersei, the character is a you know, is kind of like that's kind of her profession. She's kind of this really like beautiful woman that is like out there and is, and if she's in the hidden in the in the in the Earth core or in the Earth populace, if you will. Uh, she's going to be involved in fashion and things like that. Like we, we learned in the Neil Gaiman run and, you know, get, uh, Gemma Chan, right. So I'm going to make sure I yep, pronounce Gemma people's Chan. names, right. Uh, Gemma Chan, I, you know, she was great in, in a little bit of time. She was Minerva was like, she, like you said, the charis the charisma coming off the screen when she was on there was just oozes out. And I, she, and I didn't know those, who know, I, I'm not been very good about following films and TV outside of superheroes and star Wars and science fiction very well. And all I know is that she oozed off the screen. She was one of my, one of my main highlights of the movie. And I remember you telling, was she, was she in crazy rich Asia, Asia? Yes, she, that was. What she was. In? Yep. So, and I've heard of them great things about that movie. And I, and I heard obviously it was because of her and, and amongst other people, obviously, but um, she's obviously a huge hot actress right now at working today and when you everyone was talking about that and you talked about how it's a bummer because it feels like they kind of you know they kind of wasted an opportunity with a great actress like her now we we hear this news and they haven't cast Cersei yet and this this kind of hits me in all kinds of different directions because one Cersei like you said Sean she's the most popular Avenger uh, she was on the team in the, in the 80s and later on in the in the, er, the dark ages of the early 90s, I would say, with uh, Black Knight Hercules. And and uh, which, by the way, I've read some of those issues and I, I still like them. 
uh, just because they're almost are so bad they're good kind of a thing. The art's great. Uh, Andy Kubert, you might remember that name. Uh, he drew a lot of those issues. Great stuff. Anyway, um, but yeah, she's like you said, the most popular Avenger, like from the Eternal section bar in the retcon, which Star Fox also, by the way, was an Avenger at one point. So, you know, for me, I'm really fascinated because I've, I know the character Cersei. And she's a, she's a powerful character. She's, you know, she's nothing to mess with. She's a very powerful person. Um, so when you put all that together um, and you've have Gem, uh, Gemma Chan on this, you know, playing this, uh, this character, what's also awesome. You also take off another thing we need to, you know, work on is more representation of, mm. you know, different kinds of people in these films. Now you cast someone again, you have a female lead, char- lead character. That's probably, I'm assuming, going to be the one of the main characters, or obviously it's, it's an ensemble piece, so she'll, she'll be one of the main characters. And then also, if we're assuming this is going to follow the comics in some way, you're going to have this character probably more likely join a future New Avengers team. And again, more representation in the Avengers with this character if they cast this person as Cersei. And again, I look at everything, I'm like, this all like, this, I'm checking off the boxes like in a good way. I'm like, yes. Great actress, yes. Needs to be an Avenger, yes. And also a not the same, you know, it's a different uh, type, type of person with a minority. And this is great. So these are all things that I think that are all great. And I'm like, yes, I want this to happen. So now that I see this, I'm like, give it to me because I, I want this. I mean, so so yeah, I, I'm really excited because if this is, if this is so, this is a, a great, not just, you know, again, representation thing off the check mark, which I think is important, but also a fantastic actress that's going to be joining the MCU and also probably an Avengers team. So imagine the, the charisma that Gemma Chan has going on there with the likes of, you know, Bo, uh, with uh, Chadwick Boseman and, uh, you know, and Tom Holland and everything like everyone else. I mean, like there's so much great stuff you can, you're going to be able to do with that. So I'm really excited. And, you know, you know, Brie Larson, I mean, there's, it's going to be really exciting the kind of team they're building that, Again, I, again, I'm looking at it from the comics, comic book standpoint. And if like we're thinking a new Avengers team is going to have Black Panther, Captain Marvel, Spider-Man, I'm assuming. And then now you think, let's, just, let's assume Cersei. Look at that. That's this. That's a totally different lineup already with those four people, mm-hmm. barring, you know, other people that are going to be added in later on. So it's a really exciting like thing of how, again, they're building a new team. Well, yeah, eventually. That's, that's assuming Cersei is the one in the MCU who goes on to become an Avenger, which may be the it's case true. or may not. I mean, yeah, maybe true, Marvel yeah. Studios doesn't make up their mind about which Eternal becomes an Avenger until they see who the audience responds to in that movie, which is which, by the way, if that's the standard. Gemma Chan as Cersei would be one of the favorites because she's great and she's super charismatic and I could, and I think audiences are going to be very attached to her character if that's who she's playing. I love her for the role of Cersei. Uh, I think as I just think she is an ideal fit. Uh, I think she fits exactly what that character is to a T in the comic books as somebody who is you know who can do it all. I mean, who can be the superhero can be very heroic but also the way that she disguises herself in, in public is that you know her persona throughout human history is kind of the socialite the event planner and all of those things i mean that's kind of her mm-hmm. job in the neil game and run as an as, as an event yeah. planner and so she's very much into that and it, it's so much fun to have a character who can embrace that side and, and want to be part of the 
you know, the, the high class party society of, uh, of humanity, but at the same time be like an actual real hero. And so I, I think there's a lot that, that goes on with that character. That's a lot of fun. And that was certainly a character that I was drawn to the more, uh, the more I, I dove into Eternals comic books. And I think Gemma Chan would just be a, a, an ideal fit for it. So I hope that's the role that she's playing. But as I said, even if she's not, I'm just happy that this uh, that this is another actor who, even though she's already been in the MCU as Minerva, if that character's tenure was, if it was always destined to be short-lived in the MCU, okay, fine. Uh, but there's no reason not to go back to Gemma Chan uh, and, and give her another role uh, that could potentially be much, much bigger in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So I love this news, and I'm super excited about it. Uh, before we get into... Our main topic talking about Marvel TV, uh, as I mentioned before, we have a lot of people to thank this week. We did some at, uh, some thank yous at the top of the show. Also want to uh, deliver some thank yous here. So thank you to Kevin Patane Jr., Lucas McMahon, Yanni Dendron- uh, Dendrinos, Jalen Schubauer, Alan Matthews, Anthony Scavone, Gabe McCoffin, Lance T. Larson, Daniel Wright, Bill Cook, Joshua Goodsward, hopefully I pronounced that correctly, sorry if I didn't, Josh Farrar, Alexander Murray, Mike Lupo, Eric Bober, Johnny Call, and Darkflame 3. They are some of the latest patrons over at patreon.com slash News, which means they are able to hear all kinds of exclusive content that is not available anywhere else. And at the tiers that they've chosen where they actually get a uh, an on-air thank you on the podcast that also means that they're eligible to to join that patreon exclusive discord community that we were talking about and as far as the exclusive content that we have uh, we have our patreon credit scenes where we take a main show like this where we have a conversation about whatever our topic is but then we'll go ahead and we'll talk about something else on the patreon credit scene it might be the latest news it might be something else so for this week on the patreon credit scene we're actually going to be talking about uh, the Avengers Endgame home release, just thoughts on some of the special features and things that uh, were included. Uh, but we're also going to be talking about, even though it's not Marvel Studios, it's still relevant. Uh, we've talked about the film a couple times, and so we might as well talk about some news for its sequel. Andy Serkis is officially directing Venom 2, so that will be one of the topics that we cover on our Patreon credit scene as well. We also do a weekly Q&A show, and you can actually, well, you have to be on one of the higher tiers to submit questions and join the Discord community you can actually listen to those Q&A shows and the Patreon credit scenes. That's just a dollar a month. But we have other exclusive content as well. There's a Daily Bugle, which is a Monday through Friday show that I host, just breaking down whatever the day's news is. Or if there's no news, then I'll go ahead and I'll talk about something else related to Marvel Studios and or the MCU. Uh, we also have a monthly open Q&A where people can ask questions that aren't necessarily Marvel-related. We have quarterly commentary tracks that are going to be coming up. So we have all kinds of exclusives. And the great thing about it is that if you are getting exclusive audio from us through Patreon, you do get your own private RSS link that you can put into a podcatcher like Apple Podcasts and subscribe via RSS so that you get the main show and all of your Patreon exclusives all in one feed. You don't have to track it down in multiple places. So for more information on that, our Discord community, and everything else that we offer and all the exclusives that we have available on our Patreon, please visit patreon.com slash Marvel Studios News. Getting into our main topic, Paul, uh, let's go ahead and let's talk about Marvel Television. The reason this feels like in the end of an era, and part of the reason why we wanted to talk about it is even though Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., another season is going to debut, it's going to air next summer, we know that the end is coming. They have officially announced that the ne- that season seven is going to be the last season of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. 
all of the Netflix shows are now done. They were all canceled last year, or what was left was canceled earlier this year with Punisher uh, and Jessica Jones coming to an end officially. So between the Marvel Netflix coming to an end, as well as Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. kind of wrapping up because there were never any other shows besides Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and then uh, for two seasons, Agent Carter. I know there were a couple of others that almost got off the ground but never did. We're now pretty much wrapping up the, the era of Marvel television on ABC. And so that really feels like an end to an overall era for Marvel television. I mean, it's been six years since Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm-hmm. first premiered. And we've had some other things going on. I mean, you have Runaways, which is still going on Hulu. But that Runaways almost feels more like it's part of Marvel's future than Marvel's past. Because mm-hmm. it, it almost feels like like a Captain Marvel and a Black Panther, where it's like, yes, they were in, this kind of stuff was introduced in the Infinity Saga, but we know most of their future lies after the Infinity Saga, because they're only just getting started as the Infinity Saga is coming to an end. And that's kind of how I feel about Runaways, because Marvel's only just getting started on Hulu. And the only other show that's running right now that's actually airing, on that's not on a streaming platform, but it's actually airing on television is Cloak & Dagger over on Freeform, but in the same way, that almost feels like part of Marvel's future and not so much part of uh, Marvel's uh, current era. So anyway, it does feel like things are coming to an end in some in, in a in a certain way with uh, Marvel television from these past six years. So let's start just by going all the way back and let's talk about and let's just maybe the best way to evaluate and share our feelings on what this whole era has been is to try and take it through these major milestones. And the first one was the announcement of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And that series, of course, premiered in September of 2013. And I remember when it was announced. I don't remember the exact date, but we know that there was a lot of excitement around this series because it was the first show to be spun off from the MCU. It was going to star Agent Coulson, who died in the Avengers, but was going to be brought back for this uh, for this S.H.I.E.L.D. television show. It was going to be tied into the MCU, and you even had cameos in the first season from Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury. You had, of course, Kobe Smulders as Maria Hill. What are some of your early memories in terms of your expectations when it came to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as it was starting to as it was going to get started uh, back in 2013? Man, that's a that's a loaded question because I think my expectations were for, for it all to be connected. I mean, that was the old the old saying, right? It's all mm-hmm. connected, and I, and I really wanted it to feel like it was connected to the films, and now and actually have like deep seated like comic book stuff brought to life, like them actually take on supervillains and not just you know guys in suits all the time, and and that was my expectation because I feel like the MCU like kind of just you know showed us that hey we're going you are in the Marvel universe now like the, you know hey world check me out sorry say anything reference um so uh but no i i think the MCU kind of said hey this is superheroes this is the Marvel universe and this is it pretty much to a T and everyone ate it up and then agents of shield came on and i was thinking we're going to get really really fun stories and and it wasn't really like that out, out the gate. And my expectations going into it were basically I wanted to see that, but personified even more. And it took, a, I mean, it took a while to get going, but I expected it to be kind of in that same vein. And so it was really kind of, you know, if you remember, um, if you longtime listeners of the Modern Myth Media podcast might remember, remember me and uh, Sean 
uh, we you know reviewed this epi- these episodes at first, and you know I was really excited, and I remember being this kind of like I don't remember, maybe yeah. I remember well because it was part of a, it was part of a bigger thing at the time. I mean, we launched yeah. actually a different podcast called Modern Myth Media Television Edition or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, we yeah. were talking because back when Agents of Shield was first getting going, I mean that was kind of as a lot of superhero TV was starting to blow up. Like they had been big on the big screen for a little while, uh, obviously for well a number of years already. And then we started seeing that expansion in television. I mean, Arrow got a show and then the other stuff. I mean, and some of this is all kind of running together. I'm not saying this is all happening at the exact same time. But Arrow was getting a show. You had Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And that was just kind of the beginning because it wasn't long after Arrow that you found out about stuff, other stuff that was coming up from D.C., whether that was Flash or Gotham or whatever. We started seeing a lot more superhero television. And, and of course, from the Marvel side of it, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was what kind of got things started. But then there was the news of the Netflix deal and, and they had all of this other stuff. So that because there was this impending expansion of superhero television, that's when we had the different show. And then I, I remember those reviews week to week when Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. first came out. And I've always been one of the bigger proponents of the show. There's no doubt about that. Uh, but I remember you not being the biggest fan of some of the earlier episodes and, and, but I couldn't yeah. really blame you. I mean, and a lot of people bailed. I mean, the show was very well, it had pretty high ratings when it first started. And then, you know, the, uh, the audience just kept dropping off in big chunks week to week, uh, for agents of shield. Cause it just wasn't there. It felt like it was in, and in fair, it's probably not unfair to say that the show is relying too much just on the the knowledge that this is part of the MCU world. That okay, well, this is connect those all those movies that are so popular that you like. This is connected to them, and as if that was the main selling point, as opposed to the stories that were being told from week to week on Agents of Shield. Mm-hmm. And it was a little rocky, especially in that first half of, uh, of season one. There were some good episodes. I remember actually really enjoying the pilot episode. I thought the premiere was strong. Um, and then it had some decent episodes here and there. The first big It's All Connected episode was the one that tied into Thor The Dark World in November of 2013. But that one still didn't end up being worth that much. And then I think a few months after that was when Lady Sif was on an episode of uh, of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. for the first time. But I think where, oddly enough, where Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. really kind of started hitting its stride was when S.H.I.E.L.D. fell, was when S.H.I.E.L.D. was uh, you know, completely dismantled in Captain America the Winter Soldier in the spring of 2014. And then, of course, the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. had to deal with that because the organization that this show is named after is completely you know, just blown up in Captain America the Winter Soldier, figuratively and literally with the Triskelion going down. Uh, the entire world in which Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was going to be based was just completely uh, pulled out from underneath it via what was going on in the MCU. And I think at the time, that seemed like something that could actually be kind of exciting, but it also, in retrospect, I mean, really hampered the show's ability to to keep up with what was going on in the movies. And there's other stuff that was going on later that we'll talk about as we go through this progression of this era of Marvel television. But yeah, I think while I enjoyed season one, I would say that to date, it was the weakest season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., especially the first half of season one. That's probably the weakest section or run of episodes in, throughout Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s run, which, I mean, while you certainly say that, that it's a good thing for shows to get better over time, even shows that start out great, you still need to start out great if you want to keep an audience that was tuning in. And, and by the time Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. really turned into something great... I think what happened in 
you know, as far as, you know, with S.H.I.E.L.D. turning into something great, by the time that happened, a lot of the audience had already left, and you can't really blame them for not going back. Yeah, it was one of those things where I've gone on record to say, I, I, I really liked season two. I remember people really complained about, or not a lot of people, but some people saying, you still watch that show when the end of season, when the end of season two happened, and we had the, obviously, the reveal of the uh, tele terogenesis with the whole inhumans tie-in and whatnot so it was one of those things where i was really excited you know as they got deeper and deeper and it took a while i think the second season i started really you know really hitting the, the show and then the third season it was again there was more ties or it felt like i felt like it felt like they were getting better and closer but it felt it still felt like it was too distant and it didn't want to be a comic book you know play you know fighting super villains and again there's a budget and i realize that's a, you know a big part of it but again my favorite episodes are the one my favorite episodes are the ones that you had laura lee and sif on and again they tied they they introduced the kree again they they were doing things i like the tie to uh dark world and all that stuff like i felt like that was to me that was a perfect way to do it you weren't going to have the actors show up on agents of shield this wasn't going to happen Though I think we're headed in in some time, whether it be Warner Brothers or or Disney, but Marvel or DC, at one point there's going to be direct connectivity to these these TV shows at one point. Besides besides just the you know Disney Plus, there's gonna it's gonna be like completely 100% integrated, and maybe Disney Plus will be the the kind of like you know the uh, the first kind of foray into that. But there's going to be future contracts, in my opinion, where there's going to be TV and film. We're going to doing it's going to be almost like a a, a lifetime contract, if you will, or something like that, um, where you're going to be able to have those things. And I think that right now they're, they're playing with, with, in regards to Agents of Shield, they're playing with different ideas and things like that. And then you all, but you also have the politics side of it too, with the whole Perlmutter and Kevin uh, Feige not wanting to adhere to those certain things. You felt that in Agents of Shield, because obviously, you know, Kevin Feige was was excited about it. Because I remember, I don't, I don't know, if, I don't know if you remember this, Sean. But it was Kevin Feige that wore a shirt to announce Agents of Shield that said Coulson lives, and if I'm not remembering correctly, um, and so he, you know, he was, ex I mean, as far as we know, was excited to do this, or you know, or maybe maybe he had different intentions with the show, and then that's where the bad blood between him and and other Marvel parts of Marvel TV happened. I don't know, but. To me, I feel like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. had the, the greatest of intentions. I mean, every show has the greatest of intentions, but I really think that they really wanted to have a connecting TV show with the films. It just never, only one, got the audience behind it. And I think it was, it was almost, they were, they were almost too soon for everything, if that makes any sense, too. Because I don't think the budget and the technology was there quite yet. It was almost there. And I think they're trying to figure out how do we, you know, in 20, you know, again, you're, also, this is 22 episodes, right? Or 20 plus episodes. I mean, now we're getting TV shows that are like six, seven episodes long. You, you know, we're, we're kind of realizing that the, the whole idea of network television is totally changing. It's evolving as we go. But back when that was first came, that first came out, you had to do 22 episodes. You had to, you know, your your budget had to be, you know, very particular. So I feel now that everything is kind of like moving a different direction. And now they're not, they're not afraid of doing these Disney plus shows or having six episodes. So 
I think that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., if you would have looked at it a little bit different, they probably, if you would have looked at it like a Disney Plus show and did it like a seven, you know, six to eight episode thing, because even before that, this is before Daredevil and all that stuff, too. So, you know, Netflix was, was doing 13 episodes and we all thought that was drawn out in some in some ways, not with the first season of Daredevil. That was a great season. But in a lot of the other uh, Marvel Netflix shows. So I imagine what 22 episodes felt like initially. There's definitely some yawners. We'll just be real here. Yeah. But at the same but at the same time with with what we're doing here with, with the budget, if they were given a budget and an episode order of like six or eight episodes like the Disney Plus show, we might be talking a different story potentially. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it was all when Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was ordered, and I don't think it was Feige. I don't remember Feige wearing a Colson Lives shirt. So, because Feige, as far as I know, was never attached to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Joss Whedon was, uh, but I don't remember Feige being officially attached to it. And uh, Feige, the only, the only executive producer credit that Feige has on Marvel television stuff is, uh, besides, like, I think maybe some ABC specials or something, is uh, Agent Carter. He's he's attached to that one formally. He's not really formally attached to Agents of Shield. Uh, Joss Whedon was, but remember, Joss Whedon, in the wake of the Avengers, not only was he hired to uh, direct another Avengers movie, that was when he became the consultant for Marvel Studios, and in part, so he was going to be giving notes on other Marvel movies, but also he was going to be creating Marvel television shows, and the the show that he created from that deal, or at least you know related to that deal in some way was uh was agents of shield now as far as you know what happened to the show because i I do think again as i was saying before the show got a lot better over time but it wasn't good enough in the start for a lot of people and so i don't fault them for not necessarily uh coming back to it when the show improved as somebody who has watched the show and and i've watched all six seasons that have aired i finished the season six finale uh over the weekend and uh, so i'm fully caught up on agents of shield I think it actually had a pretty good run for those five seasons. And season six, I'll get into that without spoiling it in a, in a second here. But I think the show really kind of started finding its stride in season two, and then definitely in season three. Uh, which I, I think it's a debate uh, for me between seasons three and four, as far as which was the best season of the show. A lot of people tend to favor season four. I, of course, love the first half of season four. That's with Gabriel Luna as the Robbie Reyes ghostwriter becomes a big part of that. And obviously, I love that run of the show. Uh, but I, as somebody who's been a fan of the show over its entire run, even I can acknowledge that the rocky start, you know, didn't really do it any favors, and it just had a hard time finding its its footing. It re- I think what you could see if going back and in, in thinking about some of those season one episodes and even remembering some of our conversations at the time, it was just kind of that that tug of war going on back and forth between the show trying to be the secret agent spy show because that's what Shield is, right? It's the it's the spies of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's trying to do that while also incorporating enough of the superhero type of elements to really make it uh, to make it feel like it really is part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And so it had a really tough time finding that balance. And it started finding that balance much more so in season two when they started dealing more with concepts like the Inhumans. But also as show as, as Agents of Shield continued to establish more of its own story and more of it and build out its own world, it also started becoming increasingly apparent that the show wasn't really part of the MCU as it was originally advertised to be. There was never and still has never been any acknowledgement of the fact that Coulson survived beyond the Avengers. So you can make the case that as far as the movies are concerned, 
Coulson died in Avengers, and that was it. And nothing else ever happened. You had Earth being populated by so many Inhumans over the course of seasons two and three of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and we have no Inhumans in the Marvel movies. There's no way they wouldn't come up if what was happening in S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, wasn't if if shield was part if agent shield was really and truly part of the mcu there's no way the inhumans thing just doesn't come up in the marvel movies i mean you the only thing that even remotely that you could make a case refers to inhumans in the mcu is a line from vision in captain america civil war where he talks about uh, the increase in like super powered conflicts or super people like increasing exponentially you could if you want to you could say that's in humans there are things in season 1 and in seasons 1 and 2 of, of agents of shield that feel like much more direct connections as i said you had people like nick fury maria hill sif actually appearing in the show in season 1 when when shield falls that actually the, when shield falls in winter soldier that directly impacts agents of shield it does so immediately and then when you look at season 2 you have characters like Dr. List, and who appeared for the very first time in the mid-credits scene of Winter Soldier, showing up as part of the person experiment with, with Baron Strucker experimenting on the twins, Wanda and Pietro. You know, he's appearing in episodes of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And season two, part of what it leads to is them finding, uh, them finding out the location of the Scepter, which the Avengers go get in the opening of Avengers Age of Ultron. They also uncover the helicarrier that shows up at the, end of, uh, at the end of Avengers Age of Ultron, the one that Nick Fury is using there. So there were some direct connections in those first two seasons. But then what's interesting, if you think about the timing of that, season one ran 2013-2014. Uh, season two ran 2014-2015. Well, what happened in the summer of 2015 before season three of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. premiered uh, for season three, which ran from 20, in 2015 and 2016, well, that was when Marvel Studios moved out from the rest of Marvel Entertainment. Before they all reported, Marvel Studios was part of the, the other Marvel. It's all still owned by Disney. But as far as the organization chart, in 20, up until the summer of 2015, Marvel Studios belonged to Marvel Entertainment in the organization chart. So Kevin Feige reported to the very top of Marvel, including CEO Ike Perlmutter, what changed in 2015 is Marvel Studios was allowed to move out of that so that Kevin Feige and everybody at Marvel Studios, they only they started just reporting to the Disney corporate, the rest of the Disney corporate ladder. So starting with Walt Disney Studios chairman Alan Horn and then rolling up to all the way up to Bob Iger, the CEO, they were no longer under the authority of anybody else at Marvel Entertainment. Marvel Television, however, stayed put and they've belonged to Marvel and still belong to Marvel and the rest of Marvel Entertainment ever since as far as the org chart. So when that happened, I feel like there was, I mean, there already wasn't, I I don't think a ton of communication between all of those sides, uh, between the, between the Marvel studio side and the rest of Marvel entertainment. But obviously there's been even less since that move happened in the summer of 2015. And that was when agents of shield, I think because they had no other choice, they just continued to go even further with establishing their own mythology, their own rules, to the point where now, past season two, you can't really make a good argument that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. There's, I mean, even if there's, they've been dealing with time travel and their rules are completely different than the time travel of Avengers Endgame. There are dates that, that obviously no longer match up and you just have so many contradictions if you tried to say that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. past season two really and truly belongs in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and I don't believe that it does. And I, I don't want to spend the, the entire time talking about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. but just to wrap that one up before we move on to talking about some of the other stuff, 
in terms of where things are at now with shield as it kind of ends this era i don't want to i don't want to make it sound like it's not me complaining that agents of shield didn't end up being more connected to the mcu and, and to the movies and things like that because i actually think that the show got better even though i was a huge proponent when it started of the idea that agents of shield was connected to the mcu and that was part of what was so fun about it the show actually got better as it just worried about itself and it didn't worry about everything else that was going on in the MCU. And I think it had, I mean, it was forced to do that because of, you know, everything that was going on on, on the corporate side of things. But I think what, what the way shield agents of shield is structured with the traditional network model of we need 22 episodes every single year that just doesn't fit with Marvel Studios and how they develop stories and how they add to their continuity, which is why the Disney Plus structure is going to work so much better for them. It just doesn't work. The The network television model doesn't work with adding canon to this movie universe that's only putting out two to three films a year. It just doesn't work that way. Or at least, yeah. And Kevin Feige talked about the logistics of that and why that was such a problem. And even though that answer may sound boring and it might just sound like an excuse, it's very real. And it's a, it is an issue that you can't really overcome. So in any event, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., it would have been hamstrung. Like it would have had to be, it would have had to have been a watered down show in which it could not move its stories forward fast enough because it would have had to be, had to have been treading water to make sure it was waiting for what was going on in the movie, you know, to make sure certain things fell into place as a result of the movies or waiting until they knew what was going on in the movies in order to react to them. So ultimately with the way things were structured, it was better for shield to just kind of strike out on its own and it became a better show. My only issue with agents of shield at this point is actually it's really more season six. I think season five was a perfect ending to the show. They wrote it to be the ending of the show because they thought it was over. And then ABC actually surprised everybody who makes the show by renewing it for one se- re- renewing it for a season six. But then even before season six aired, renewing it for season seven, they were shorter seasons now. They were 13 episodes apiece instead of 22. And season six actually kind of shows, t- it felt to me like, they really weren't ready to do another season of the show because they they had wrapped it up so perfectly in season five and put a bow on it, and it was a great ending for the series. And then they had to find more story for season six and season seven. I, I thought Agents of Shield in season six, without spoiling anything, uh, I thought it was it felt almost like a Netflix show where there was a lot of the old dragging of the feet, a lot of episodes where it just wasn't necessary. They, it just felt like they were trying to fill up airtime. They weren't really telling much story. Or the stories that were being told weren't really moving things forward. I thought the finale was pretty good up until the end. I feel like the the season six finale of Agents of Shield, without again without spoiling what it is. I feel like it just hits a glorified reset button to reshuffle the deck to almost retell the story of season six in, in season seven, which will be the last season of the show. Hopefully, season seven, uh, the show, because they've they knew when they when they are at least I think they knew, even though we weren't uh, we didn't find out the news officially until last month. I think they probably knew when they were doing season seven, and, and I think Jeff Loeb even said in an interview when they found out that they were going to do not just a season six, but also a seventh season that they told ABC, okay, we'll do season seven, but that's it. So now that they have the opportunity to go back and and try to find another definitive ending for the story, uh, hopefully that means season seven will be better. Uh, But overall with agents of shield, 
even though there there are some frustrations from the first season and people did give up on the show and even though there might be uh you know some hard feelings over the fact that this show just never quite was able to keep up with or or maybe never truly lived up to that promise well it's not a fact an opinion but a widely held opinion that the show never quite lived up to the promise mm-hmm. of you know being this MCU show and building out from there um i still think the show ultimately proved to be worthwhile on its own, which I think is an even higher compliment rather than just being an an acceptable piece that's connected to this much, much better and much cooler thing that shield on its own was able to be worthwhile. And uh, so I I think that actually is, uh, that's not faint praise. That's, that's a legitimate compliment to the show and a show that makes it for seven seasons when most shows don't get anywhere near that, even if seasons six and seven were abbreviated if you combine them, they basically add up to a full season and, and a little more. So you're still looking at so many episodes, so many hours of television that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. had. And they were telling good, uh, some pretty quality stories throughout that, throughout most of that run. So I still think Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., as it comes to an end now that we know the show is over and there's just going to be one more season that airs next year... It's still a success story to me. I know there might be some asterisks and some yeah buts for some fans or for people who didn't keep up with the show, but as somebody who watched all the way from episode one and, and will watch all the way until the last uh, episode airs next year, uh, this was, I think it is still a strong success story for Marvel Television. Yeah, and I, I think that's a that's really well said. And I, I can't really second anything other than the fact that it's, I, I do want to finish it one day. I'm, I'm on the very end of season four, I believe. I, I already watched the Gabriel Luna stuff and the LMD stuff I hadn't gotten to yet. So, but I, I think I'll eventually get to it, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. And by the way, Sean, I did some research. I was right. Kevin Feige did wear a shirt that uh, did he? Coulson lives. Yes. Okay. I need I, to see I, that I, picture. For, for, I, there's no picture, but everyone reported it at oh, okay. the, as New York Comic Con. They said he was wearing he was wearing because I looked for a picture myself. Oh, but okay. multiple people had all the outlets were saying he was sporting a uh, Colson Lives T-shirt. Okay, so did he wear? What year did he wear it? 2012. Okay, yeah, that's after the show. Well, that was before the show was officially mm-hmm. picked up, but that was after the show that they were uh, that they had been they talking already, about it. Yeah, that is correct. Okay, so well, he didn't yeah. wear. So, so he didn't wear it for the. He didn't wear it for the announcement, though. That's what I was trying to get well, at. because the show was I, I already the, the show was already announced by then. Well, yeah, but they announced. I guess it was it was in October two thousand twelve. He was he was at New York Comic Con. Yeah. and he came out with the shirt. Right, right. But they first talked yeah. about the show publicly in the trades in August of two thousand twelve. So it was before yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, that's, yeah. So I don't know, but I don't know if he was wearing the shirt specifically for agents of shield or if he was just wearing it because had they announced that Colson was going to be in the show yet? Cause they just yeah, announced that, that, that it was a shield show early on. Right. No, that's what the announcement him wearing the shirt was the announcement or not was. The oh, that's right. Here's a quote from, here's a quote from Feige saying there was never going to be a, a shield show without agent Phil Colson. So there you go. There you um, go. yeah. Cause I was, actually, I, I could have sworn that, uh, I was actually having this discussion with some folks not long ago. I could have sworn that, Colson, or I'm sorry, not Colson, that Feige was an EP on Agents of Shield at one point, but it's nowhere on his I IMDb. I, That's crazy. I, I thought he was. Because I, I went back on, and I remember when I was having that conversation, I went back and looked at the, the first episode and I didn't see his name on it, but that was on Netflix. And I'm like, did they change it and remove his name from the show? <laughs> I mean, they could do it. And I would think he would have been the one who wanted his name if that happened. And, yeah. and maybe I'm just misremembering, but uh, anyway. 
the other piece of it, just while we're on the subject, I mean, as far as Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. goes, there was a, a spinoff that never happened. It was with uh, Marvel's Most Wanted, and that was going to be with Bobby Morse and uh, what was his name? Hunter? Lance. Lance Hunter. Lance. Yeah. Because I remember. AKA I, real Hawkeye. Yeah. Well, I always think of him as like his actor name, like, because isn't the actor like Nick Blood? And he, I always thought his real name was cooler than his character name. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. In, uh, you're not wrong. In Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. But. Uh, yeah, I, that was a. I remember that one being a major bummer for uh, Marvel's Most Wanted. That not happening because I, and Adrian Palicki playing who played uh, Bobby Morse, aka Mockingbird, on Agents of Shield. I thought they were so great, and I was really yeah. looking forward to that spinoff. And they actually left Agents of Shield to make that spinoff, and then the spinoff didn't get picked up. And by then, I guess ABC wasn't spending the money to bring them back on Agents of Shield, so that really stunk. So they they gave up their jobs on Agents of Shield as part of the ensemble cast to go lead this new show, and it didn't pan out for them. Uh, and that yeah. was really uh, th- that's that's really disappointing. I do hope they can get uh, those two actors back for season seven. <laughs> Uh, knowing uh, that it's the last one, but they've already filmed it. That's the other thing is part of the reason we're having this conversation now and that we even thought about it is because uh, not only did they announce that this was the last season, but last week that, that was when everybody in the cast were talking about they wrapped production on season seven. So they're all moving on to the next phase of their careers now, uh, even though we're going to be waiting uh, to watch this last season whenever uh, whenever ABC drops it. The other uh, The other Marvel show that was part of the ABC era of course, was Agent Carter. And this is the one that feels like, I mean, especially after Endgame, this feels like the one, the Marvel television show that Marvel Studios loves the most and, and has the mm-hmm. most respect yeah. for and, and is willing to kind of uh, you know put their arm around it and welcome it into the main MCU canon, at least for season one of Agent Carter. I mean, Marcus and McFeely, who wrote all the Cap films and wrote uh, Infinity War and Endgame, they wrote, I think, the first couple episodes of this show, uh, they were executive producers on the show. Lou D'Esposito, the co- uh, co-president of Marvel Studios, he directed the first episode of the show. Um, it was Michelle Fizigas and I think uh, Tara Butters who actually ended up being the, the showrunners on the series for most of its run. But you know, this was something that Marvel Studios was very heavily involved in. And the whole thing got going because Louis D'Esposito had directed that Agent Carter one-shot that was attached to, I think it was the Iron Man 3 Blu-ray, if I remember correctly. And so they had, uh, that was kind of the, mm. the thing that got it going. And and I love Agent Carter. I You know, season one obviously plays right into kind of the fallout of Captain America, the first Avenger, and it's a huge part of Peggy's arc. And I still, so I love that season. Some people don't like season two quite as much. I actually really like season two. And I felt like season two is where, the show found more of its own tone as opposed to kind of the tone that it had inherited from Captain America, the first Avenger and it had its own style. I mean, they moved the show from New York to Los Angeles, which works because they were shooting the show in LA anyway. So uh, I, I will just, I have to give a shout out to agent Carter because I, I really, I really love that show. Of course, give a lot of credit to Haley Atwell who made the character of Peggy Carter so special in the MCU, somebody that, the fans just demanded to see more of. I mean, when you had Captain America, the first Avenger and Steve says, I had a date and everybody's just so crushed because they think, Oh, so that's the last time we're seeing Peggy. Uh, but the fact that that character got to come in uh, and, and Haley Atwell was able to reprise that role in multiple Marvel movies at different points in time in the MCU timeline, as well as have this agent Carter series. I mean, it just speaks to the power of that, of her portrayal and, and of course not to take anything away because we didn't uh, specifically highlight him but he has to be he deserves to be mentioned Clark Gregg for Agent Coulson I mean 
the whole Colson lives thing. I mean, it started as a hashtag on Twitter. I think that's why that's another reason why Feige was wearing the shirt, not yeah. just for the benefit of the show, but Feige being the guy who loves the fans. Well, what were the fans tweeting like crazy when Colson died in the Avengers over the course of that whole summer was that Colson lives campaign. So, you know, Colson was a character that the fans brought back to life, even if Marvel Studios never acknowledged it in the movies. And obviously the uh, fans were, were a huge part of keeping Agent Carter relevant, but that, you know, the fact that fans love those characters so much had had a lot to do with obviously the actors who were playing them and uh, Agent Carter will always have a special place in my heart and I'm so happy that it was acknowledged in the way that it was in Avengers Endgame with James Darcy playing uh, reprising the role of Jarvis which he played of course in Agent Carter and to date he is the only actor to debut in a Marvel television in a Marvel television series and go on to play the same character in Marvel Studios movies. Remember that some people said it's it's Dr. List, but no, he appeared first in a movie in the mid-credit scene of Captain America Winter Soldier before he appeared in uh, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So, uh, yeah, James Darcy is the only one who made that leap in that direction, and I'm glad that Agent Carter, even if it only ran for two seasons, has that honor. Yeah, Agent Carter was one of those things where I love the short. The short was so good, and I kind of wanted... I, I was expecting kind of that... Zodiac was a little bit of an Easter egg itself. It's a it's a very deep cut in the Marvel universe, and even had the sign. And I got really excited. I'm like, oh man, this is like this is what the show's gonna be like. This would be great. And the show, it took a little bit of time for me. And um, I ended actually. I remember one weekend, I just kind of I binged it. Um, I was really behind on it, and I finally watched all the seasons. And I was like, okay, no, this isn't. This, I I really actually I actually ended up liking it way more than I thought it was. I didn't love it initially at first, but then I started getting really into it towards the end. Um, I, I I hate to say this, I'm I never saw a second season. This is this was probably the first Marvel show that I started kind of like you know what, I just don't have enough time right now with all that I'm doing to be able to watch this show. And it was tough. I mean, I was like, I wanted to see it and it was on my DVR forever. I just never got around to it. I'm like, you know what? If eventually went on Netflix, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to delete it off here because I just don't. Yeah. So it it was, I I liked the first season and I I think that again, I look back at at everything and I just kind of think, man, you know, I just think it was, everything was a little ahead of its time in a sense, like an agent of shield, you know, the Peggy Carter series, agent Carter, you know, all that stuff. I just feel it wasn't quite ready for being what I think what maybe they intended it to be and also what fans want it to be. And we'll get in that. I'll, I'll get more into that with the Netflix stuff. So, um, but yeah, I, I, I didn't hate it. I didn't love it maybe as much as you did, Sean. I definitely liked the first season way more than I was anticipating, but it wasn't unfortunately enough, strong enough for me to want to finish watching it. So unfortunately I hate to say this is the first of, of a few Marvel things that I did not partake in. So, but yeah, it just maybe, and again, I love Haley Atwell as Peggy Carter. It wasn't really necessarily her. It's just, I just think because it, again, it's, it's, it was a, a, a TV show, and just the budgets weren't super great on it, I don't think. And I just didn't connect to it as much as I wanted it to. But again, I love Haley Atwell as Peggy Carter. She's great. Yeah, I was still very much in the I will consume anything from Marvel television. And I was still watching pretty much every superhero show at that point. Uh, except uh, I can't remember if Gotham had premiered. At some point, Gotham had definitely premiered during one of the two seasons. By the time one or the, one or both seasons of Agent, Agent Carter had aired. But I remember Gotham was one of the first major superhero shows that I gave up on, you know, like 15, 16 episodes in. But I was still sticking with the Marvel stuff because at the time we were still in that era where 
the Marvel stuff was still considered canon with the MCU. Not that it needed to be canon in order to be worth watching, but that was certainly at least part of the appeal and part of the excitement was watching more and more of this universe as it continued to be uh, fleshed out. And then uh, we're going to talk about the Netflix stuff here in just a second. But I know there's been other stuff. I mean, there were other shows that we never really heard about as far as specific titles for ABC. And one other thing that was being developed as a half-hour comedy at ABC was Damage Control, which we ended up seeing in Spider-Man Homecoming in the, in the MCU. So we saw it on the movie side. I don't really know whatever happened to the TV side. But, I mean, it had been in development for a while. I even knew some people who were working on that show or trying or you know about to be working on that show if it, when it was going to get going. Uh, but then ultimately, I, I don't know what happened to it. I know that DC did a similar show in with uh, Powerless that didn't last very long and wasn't all that successful. I don't know if that was what scared ABC away from the show or if they were already they had already moved on before. Uh, you know, before anything happened with Powerless at NBC. But I think I mean it was already probably over before then but as soon as we saw damage control and spider-man homecoming i was like oh so <laughs> i guess that show's not happening and sure enough uh, we never got uh, that show so during this time in these early days of uh, of agents of shield and marvel television there was this announcement that marvel and netflix had reached a deal for 65 episodes of television that would be exclusive to netflix it was going to be uh, it was going to be Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Iron Fist, and Luke Cage. There were going to be four shows. I don't remember if the initial announcement said what shows they were. I think it might have. Uh, but you had these four shows, and they were going to combine for the Defenders. There would be an eight-episode uh, Defender series as well. So uh, this deal, I thought, was like, okay, this was the first almost forward-thinking or at least forward-looking type of pact that we saw from Marvel Television. And the idea of that these were going to be uh, mature-rated series, that they were going to deal with darker things, that the movie was, and, and perhaps more violent, more adult than what the, than what the movies, although using the phrase adult loosely, that they were going to be dealing with those things more so than the movies had. They were going to focus on, on these street-level heroes, and these were the stories that they were going to tell, but they were still going to be part of the MCU, the whole it's-all-connected kind of thing. And the first season of Daredevil felt very much like it. I mean, I think Thor and Loki and some other Avengers are referred to uh, at different points in time throughout the episode. They refer to the Battle of New York using the code word that Netflix used for it, the incident. And uh, Daredevil, even though he didn't have a costume for most of that season, he had one by the end of the first season. And then even uh, later that, I think it was later that year, uh, you had Jessica Jones come out in the first season of that. One entire episode dealt with uh, somebody who had lost somebody in the in the incident slash Battle of New York. So the Netflix series, it's weird to think about now because I can't think of anything that feels less connected to the rest of the MCU than the Netflix stuff. But in the first couple seasons that we saw with Daredevil and Jessica Jones, and I loved both of those seasons, by the way. They were both really, really great seasons of television. That was where it was almost starting to feel like, oddly enough, that was where the connections to the MCU with the television, like that's where it felt like it was the most meaningful or that it was more meaningful than it had been uh, anywhere else, which, as I said, I mean, it's weird to think about now in retrospect, but at the time, it really felt like things were kind of turning a corner in terms of those connections. Yeah, I think this is where, again, I don't know if 
if this was a testing ground or if it was meant to be a testing ground. And because I think there, we don't know, and and we can always assume, and we have info, you know, we might have some info, in, not us personally, but there might be things that leaked out since then or whatever that might prove us otherwise or, or cause controversy. I don't know, but it seems certainly from in retrospect that there, they always, you know, the Netflix stuff, I apologize. Um, the Netflix stuff was always going to be kind of loosely connected. And I think when Kevin Feige, you know, obviously separated himself from the TV side and wanted to do his own thing, it became even more segregated. But I feel like before that they all wanted it to be connected. Right. But at the same time, I don't even, maybe even Kevin Feige himself didn't realize how, you know, how will people respond to know like you have to watch TV and you have to watch films and again, Agents of Shield hasn't didn't set the world on fire at that point, right? But again, with Daredevil, you brought up a great point and Jessica Jones too. They were pretty connected from if you look at from the again without them labeling Iron Man and Thor, they pretty much they're you know they're essentially in the same universe or in a quasi universe you could say at this point now. The, it may not be the exact one, but something like that exists because they make those references. So I wonder, because that first season of Daredevil is, is obviously some of the best superhero television ever. And, and people geeked out over the when Wesley says, you know, did he, did he have a magic hammer or yeah. a suit of armor or something like that? Like, I mean, there were direct references. There's also the incident, like you like you talked about. Also, also in Jessica Jones, they talk about Luke Cage's power level, and he says, "I'm not as big as the green guy." Yeah. So there's there's lots of lots of different little references, and even like the whole the, the whole plot of the the show of the first season of Daredevil is about people profiting off the incident, and it felt very it felt very comic mm -hmm. booky uh, and Marvel connected in a sense to where that's exactly what the writers of the Marvel comics would do. They take that and in these lower tier heroes and they all, they all exist. Like these guys exist in the guardians of the galaxy and things like that. I don't know if executives, and again, I'm not saying that I know for sure, but I don't, I don't know if Kevin Feige or anyone else truly understood the power of having that much connection. Then maybe they were anticipating and maybe like he just was kind of like whatever. And when he realized the, the impact of, of a great show like a daredevil and a Jessica Jones. And it, I think daredevil was enough for maybe him and other people to realize the significance that you can have a connect. You could have potentially a connecting TV show with a giant film franchise. You know, again, Kevin's already, you know, showed the world that people will probably scoff at the idea of things being connected in different franchises, all like the comics. Again, maybe he was, you know, agents of shield didn't light the world on fire. And then Daredevil comes out a pretty substantial character, pretty, you know, obviously very visual character came out, set the whole internet on fire and pretty much was a, I wouldn't say the first, but was a pretty um, a pioneering thing of an idea. Like, here's an idea, a superhero. It's loosely connected to the MCU. And then all of a sudden, people ate that crap up. And it's huge. And now Daredevil is considered, is, you know, he pretty much got, you know, there was a renaissance of Daredevil because of the Netflix show. And it, it showed that it, it could transcend the the the, pre, the previous film that people were ne maybe not always loving. I love the director's cut, and I still like the regular theatrical version too. But anyway, but my point is, I think Daredevil showed you can have your cake and eat it too in this in this whole connection if you do it the right way. And I think that maybe that is what also spurned Kevin to say, you know what, 
this is going to be a short-term thing because these Netflix shows, they have a lifespan where we're, we're, you know, contracting out through somebody else. I think he probably knew this is, this is a short-term thing. And I'm not saying that. that well, I mean, a lot of this stuff isn't even up to him. I mean, these, you know, the Netflix shows were under the purview of Marvel television, right. which he wasn't in charge of. And, and particularly, I mean, Daredevil, this whole deal with net between Marvel and Netflix it was the news broke and the announcements happened in November of 2013. So shield is like two months old at this point, or maybe even a little less than that. And I did double check and they did have the series announced of which four it would be. And then culminating in the defenders, but you have daredevil premiering in 2015 spring of 2015. And remember the timing of this Marvel studios separates, they separated from the rest of Marvel entertainment within a few months of daredevil premiering on Netflix. So at that point, you know, that's why it's it's not really that surprising that Daredevil, which aired before the split, and then Jessica Jones, which even though it premiered in November of 2015, it was made, a lot of it was made before the split and written before the, you know, before the split. So that's why I think in, in retrospect, Daredevil season one and Jessica Jones season one feel like they have, you know, the, the strongest connection of any of the Netflix shows to Marvel Studios and the MCU because at the time they were more connected because they were part of the same house that was making things or at least the, at least they were part of the, obviously they were always still part of the same company, but there was still a lot more closer, there were closer connections in, in just the corporate structure. And so all that goes away and then, you know, Marvel Television just kind of really goes more in its own direction, and as they should have done. So nobody, I don't, nobody wronged anybody in any of this, by the way. I'm not trying to make a point that, you know, Marvel Studios, they hurt these shows by the split. Marvel Studios should have done what they did in 2015, and they were right to do it. Marvel Television, in response to all of that, you know, they did, they handled their shows the way that they should have, uh, well, at least uh, in terms of not necessarily worrying as much about ties to the MCU. But even as these shows started to become hits like Daredevil and Jessica Jones and Daredevil got a second season that came out the very next year and all of that was going on. And we knew obviously Luke Cage was coming up and Iron Fist and all of this stuff. Kevin Feige was starting to get asked about this during press and he was, and he would say, honestly, like this part of the challenge is that these shows are that the needs of movies and television and how fast they have to move in terms of their production schedules and which also, you know, impacts their creative schedules and development and all these kinds of things that they're just, they're running on different wavelengths and it's really hard for them to sync up in a, in a meaningful way. And so that was part of the reason why we weren't seeing these defenders heroes in, uh, in any of the movies. And I think once it got to a point where, I think it just reached a point where everybody just kind of gave up on the idea of it happening. Like it's going to be really hard for us to do this. We can't really do it in a way that we think is going to be satisfying in a way that people will actually enjoy. We could always do uh we could always do something where we just throw the defenders characters into a movie just so people can point at them and say, Hey, there's the defenders or there's daredevil or Jessica Jones or whoever, but it wouldn't really be in a satisfying way in terms of the story and to have it all sync up with what everybody's been with what we've been doing in our movies and what Marvel Television and Netflix have been doing in their series. And so it just got to a point where I think everybody just gave up with the gave up on the idea and moved on. And as far as the Marvel Netflix era, I think all three seasons of Daredevil were were I well, I think season I think seasons one and three were just flat out great. 
And I think most yeah. of season two was actually pretty great. There's a couple yes. episodes that are a little sluggish here and there, but still I love mm-hmm. a lot of the season two, uh, a, lo- a lot of season yeah. two, especially the, that rooftop episode after Daredevil oh. has captured Frank Castle for the first time, the Punisher. That's an all-timer. That was, man. That was fantastic. Loved that Woo! one. And so there was a lot of great success stories. And Jessica Jones season one I thought was exceptional. Then you move on to some of the other stuff. Luke Cage, I thought it had a great, great first half of its first yep. season, and then re- lost its momentum and couldn't re- never really fully recovered in the back half of that season. Uh, Jessica or Iron Fist, less said the better. Um, I, I'm just going to go by the if you have nothing nice to say, don't say anything at all rule for uh, Iron Fist. And I think it was just kind of the the bummer of it though is that Iron Fist disappointing. And then even, even well, I mean, Luke Cage was still mostly well-liked, but I think having those shows yeah. disappoint, like, it, it really, but particularly Iron Fist, yeah. really took the wind out of the sails by the time Defenders showed up. You know, by the time we I, got to that series, I mean, people just weren't as excited about it. It wasn't, it wasn't even watched as many times as any of the individual series, which was the reverse of the way it works in Marvel Studios. Like, at Marvel Studios, it's the Avengers movies that do the best at the box office. In fact... Right. To date, there is not a single solo Marvel Studios movie that has outgrossed an Avengers movie. Now, unless you want to count Captain America Civil War, but if you're just focusing on the main Avengers franchise, it actually has Avengers in the title. The Marvel Studios box office rankings go Endgame, Infinity War, Avengers, Age of Ultron, Black Panther, and then on down the line. So the Avengers movies are always the highest grossing, always the most popular films. And then, not necessarily the most well-reviewed, but the most popular in terms of box office. With Defenders, it was less popular than the solo shows, uh, which for Netflix, I'm sure, was a shock. And that was probably, from Netflix's perspective, that was probably the beginning of the end for them to be like, wait a minute. We went through all these series, and now we bring them all together, and it's not as popular as when we're doing these characters by themselves. Uh, so that experiment, didn't they didn't have that same success of bringing everything together like Marvel did in, in Phase 1 and, and subsequent phases of uh, of the MCU, they didn't have that with the defenders on uh, with Marvel on Netflix. But you know, I, I think it was harder to maintain that momentum, especially knowing that I mean, it's the it's the kind of thing that could have happened to the Avengers as a movie. I mean, go back to 2011, 2012, and imagine if something like Thor or Captain America: The First Avenger had been as poorly received as uh, as Iron Fist mm-hmm. was ahead of Avengers, and how that could have potentially impacted the box office of that film. You know, so Marvel Studios, it worked out that even though, even though Captain America: First Avenger didn't necessarily, you know, just break open the box office, it was still profitable, and more importantly, it was well liked by the people who saw it. So you didn't mm-hmm. have any negative press for any of your individual characters going Solid into event, going into Avengers, where you certainly had that uh, as a result of Iron Fist going into Defenders. Yeah, I think that's what you make a great point, Sean. Is that Iron Fist really was I. It, Obviously, that was the major bridge to get. You had Daredevil. It started out fantastic with with Daredevil and Jessica Jones, and then season two, I think, did pretty well for Daredevil and didn't light the world on fire. Obviously, and with with Luke Cage, like kind of coming in and starting out great, had a good buzz overall. Even though it, I would say, lost steam at the end for everyone. And that was everyone complained. It was a little too long. Iron Fist was the the ultimate because if you think about it all three seasons for the most part or all the seasons were all well received by 
by majority of fans of the Netflix Marvel stuff. And then when you, when Iron Fist went in, it went in with a dud. And I remember just and, and again, it was rightfully so. People for some people were you know I think being unfair to it a little bit with regards to Finn Jones, and you know being like he sucks, he sucks, he sucks. He wasn't very good, I don't think. But like they put a lot of things on him, which I felt bad about. But at the same time, they put him. They pretty much set him up to fail, and they put Scott Buck in charge, which Scott Buck just you, you know what the bed, and it was bad, and it just you know again lack of budget you put a a huge thing like iron fist and you put a giant mythology that is awesome i love the iron fist mythology you know people listen to those old shows before the tv series i could not wait for this and they literally just did every, everything they could to skirt around the mythology to skirt around the costume to skirt around everything everything cool about iron fist they basically try to avoid talking about it or doing anything about it and they avoided so many different cool things to do so and it was so frustrating as a as a fan as a hardcore iron fist fan the best thing the iron fist tv series did was misty knight and or um excuse me uh, misty it's misty um what's her last name it's not misty knight that's uh what's her name Ah, Misty, the uh, the other the other uh, uh, martial art, White Tiger, I think it was her name. Or oh, was White Tiger. Um, Misty, it wasn't Misty Knight. It no. was uh, that's the it was Colleen. Their, uh, Colleen Wing was the Colleen name Wing, of the character. Yeah, yeah, Misty Knight was the other, which is another great character too, by the yeah. way. Um, but yeah, Colleen Wing, and uh, again, I, they did a, a great things with her character. They had a great. That was the best thing about that whole TV series was her character. But it's not about her. It's about Iron Fist, for God's sakes. And just, again, that was a that was a franchise that should have been a film and not a TV series. And that was obviously a Pearl Mutter, I want to do what I want to do and screw you kind of a thing. Or definitely felt like it because, like Inhumans, like all that, he you know he had his own thing. And Scott Buck just ruined it and because netflix and because of the budgets they didn't want to do the costumes and do them justice and you didn't embrace what made the, those characters so likable in the first place again you give them costumes luke cage in um jessica jones they don't have costumes they just have regular clothes and that's fine but in the comics and in the mythology there's a reason and they again season two was a much better season than season one but season two would tease the mask they never gave it to us Give us the mythology because that's what we want to see. And if you, and again, well, they couldn't afford the mythology. I mean, everything exactly. that should have been more expensive about Iron Fist, they didn't do. I mean, he barely ever used the Iron Fist because they couldn't afford to do it. Um, and that was where I think you started seeing the limitations. And it, it's no surprise, though, that I mean, Iron Fist is the one that felt the most creatively limited because it's also the one that I think would, of all of them, I think you would guess going into it that it would push the limits of the the budgets that net, even though i'm sure netflix spent some money on these shows that uh you know iron fist you'd need a little more money to do something like that because when you deal with more yep. complex superpowers like they've been able to fake you know flight and super strength like luke cage and jessica jones and that kind of stuff like yes it's still expensive to do that but it's not as expensive as iron fist's full power set and to really showcase that and to get into that mythology and and, is it, and you know they're teasing the dragon throughout the entire show and never show the dragon because they can't afford it they can't afford to do it so 
there were a lot of things with Iron Fist, and, and I think it, it definitely hurt the momentum of the Defenders. And, and then I, I think what you saw there is, you know, as things progressed, Luke Cage Season 2, I didn't think it was all that great, but I still found it very entertaining. I found Seasons 2 and 3 of Jessica Jones very disappointing. Uh, yeah, for both seasons of Iron Fist were a disappointment. Uh, but we did get Punisher with two seasons of that, and that wasn't even part of the initial deal. It was spun off because of the success of John Bernthal as Frank Castle in uh, in the second season of Daredevil. And I thought both of those were very good, especially the first season of Punisher I thought was actually pretty great. So I was a big fan of all of that. And, you know, the Netflix shows, obviously that's done. We're never going to, or I mean, I don't think we're ever going to see, at least not in the foreseeable future anyway, brand new Marvel shows on Netflix. I don't think that's going to happen. But at the same time, I mean, I it's similar to S.H.I.E.L.D. in that, yes, there are some ups and downs, but I still see it as a success. And I, I know it makes people angry and it makes people frustrated because we're not getting more of these shows. And if you like these specific iterations of the characters, particularly Charlie Cox's Daredevil, I know a lot of people want to see these characters again. We know it's already been widely reported about the two-year waiting period you know, from cancellation to when Marvel can actually use these, start working on these characters again. Although we're getting close to it being a year since a lot of these shows were first canceled anyway. So we're almost halfway through the waiting period for some of these characters, uh, including Daredevil. I, I don't anticipate seeing these characters, as, seeing these actors playing these characters again. Maybe we will. And maybe I'll be wrong about that, but I don't want to get my hopes up back because I really would love to see Charlie Cox be the Daredevil for Marvel Studios. Like he's great at that role. Um, I, but we may, by the time we see Daredevil again, and I definitely think we'll see Daredevil again, uh, it may need to be a different actor. And I'm I'm certainly open to that. But even though Netflix, uh, I still consider it mostly a success story, despite some of the uneven uh, seasons and, and some of the creative decisions not totally working, because we still got some really great Marvel television at it. Three very good to great uh, seasons of Daredevil, and uh, I thought De- Defenders I did think was a disappointment, not just for, in terms of the numbers, but creatively I didn't think that was great. But because of those seasons of Daredevil, that first season of uh, th- that first season of Jessica Jones, both seasons of Punisher, and a season and a half of Luke Cage that I, I very much enjoyed, and even the back half of season one that I didn't love, I still mostly liked it. I still feel like the hits were good enough to outweigh the misses for me on Netflix. And I still will think about this, that era, that, that Netflix portion of this initial era for Marvel television. I'll still look back on it fondly because even though it came to an end, it worked for as long as it needed to work for both sides. I mean, if you go back to when that deal was made in 2013, it's before Marvel is making anything for Hulu it's long before Disney is talking about having their own streaming service. So it was just a different thing. I mean, the industry has changed so rapidly in these last six years that I, I think it's easy to forget how, you know, just how how different things were when the Netflix and Marvel deal was originally made. It worked for both sides at that time. Over the course of these last six years, it stopped being something that worked very well for both sides. In fact, it didn't really work all that well for either side going forward in terms of their long-term strategies. So it came to so all those shows came to an end. But there were still some wins uh, in there, and we still have because it's not like Netflix is going to pull those all those episodes of Daredevil. You still got 39 hours of Matt Murdock, and that's not even counting Defenders and any other crossover appearances. You still got 39 hours 
of good to great daredevil storytelling and plus many more hours of other characters like Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, uh, and, uh, Frank Castle. Sorry, we didn't get anything great, all that great with Danny Rand, but there's a lot of great hours of Marvel live action content on there. So the Netflix era is still a win for me. Same here. Same here. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about the other shows. I don't have as much to say about some of the other stuff because I didn't watch them, but as we're yeah. going back through our, our time with Marvel television in this era, I was watching everything up until two years ago. Mm. Two years ago, we got The Inhumans. So if you recall, <sighs> we've, we've actually already passed on the calendar both Inhumans movie release dates. It was going to be out in November of 2018 and then July of 2019. Remember, it was originally announced during that El Capitan uh, Phase 3 presentation uh, for, that Kevin Feige did uh, back in October of 2014. So originally it was announced for November of 2018. And then when the Spider-Man deal happened a few months later... It got moved uh, to July of this year, and then after the uh, after, of course, Marvel Television moved out from the rest of uh, Marvel Entertainment in summer of 2015, Inhumans held on to its July release date until I think it was April-ish of 2016 when Inhumans fell off of the release slate and it fell off of there uh, permanently. It wasn't going to be a movie anymore. And then a number of months after that was when we started hearing about the idea that. Marvel Television was going to do something with Inhumans, and they were going to do this limited series or an, an eight-episode eight series, and they were going to partner with IMAX, who was also going to be co-financing the series, and we were going to get the first two episodes actually showing in IMAX theaters before they would air on ABC. And so I remember being very, very excited about that. And then you find out that Scott Buck is is the showrunner, and then we see what happens with Iron Fist, and we're like, oh, boy. Um but then, you know, the first couple images from Inhumans I didn't think were bad, but then we started seeing some of the first footage, like right before or around Comic-Con in July of 2017, and it started looking rough. And I actually got to go to the premiere of Inhumans at Universal CityWalk, uh, so the premiere in IMAX, and so I went, and... Uh, you know, everybody was there, and of course, it's all the people who made the show, so, you know, everybody's very hopeful and just, you know, hoping for the best for what was going to happen with the show, and those two episodes aired, and I remember not thinking they were as bad as I expected, but I also expected the absolute worst thing I had ever seen in my life, so it wasn't that bad, but it wasn't good either, um, no. it, it was still pretty bad, and then... And then, of course, it went on, and it just got worse as it went on with Inhumans, and it was just so bad, so ill-conceived, and just not well thought out at all. And, and clearly, despite IMAX you know, footing the bill and, and sharing some of the expense for this, the show still didn't get the money that it needed in order to really be a proper Inhuman story, and which was really disappointing because I, I remember thinking even at the time when Inhumans had fallen off of the movie release slate and it was going to be picked up by television. I thought, you know, that's not a bad thing because there's so much that goes on with the Inhumans royal family that would really lend itself to a series format as opposed to one, two, you know, two and a quarter to two and a half hour movie. So I thought that would actually work out. But unfortunately, it didn't. Um, I mean, I, I still think Inhumans would make a great series, but you have to spend money on that thing. And that's not what happened. And it just didn't work out at all. And it was the breaking point for me because I watched all eight episodes of The Inhumans. Ugh. All of them. 
Uh, and that was when I just said, okay, I have to stop doing this to myself. I had already started making a break from some D, uh, from some DC shows. I think there was just this part of me that as a superhero, not just as a Marvel fan, but as a superhero fan, I just mm-hmm. I wanted to watch everything because we were we were so starved for live action adaptations for so long and and I, I just I wanted to consume all that I could and then you know I'd been making a break away from some DC shows and, and then for Inhumans, it's like okay, even even for Marvel, I can't just watch everything. Uh, just because it's Marvel, I, I have to stop if it's not going to be uh, if it's not going to be any good, or if it doesn't look any good, or if I'm just not happy watching it. And so, Inhumans mm-hmm. was that breaking point for me, which leads me to the other two series on this list for Runaways and uh, and Cloak and Dagger. To be perfectly clear, I am not comparing these shows to Inhumans in terms of their quality. These are both much better shows, infinitely better shows than Inhumans. So it's not a quality issue for me with those shows. They just don't scratch the itch for me as Marvel shows. I mean, Runaways, I watched the entire first season, and I I really enjoyed it, but I just found myself not that amped for, and I still haven't watched the second season on Hulu, just because it just doesn't feel enough like a superhero show. And I know that's in some ways that feels weird because what I love about Marvel Studios, at least in part, is the way they're able to mix genres in their movies. You know, you can have something like Captain America, the Winter Soldier. And this is part of the conversation that you and I had off air, Paul, that led to this episode Mm -hmm. was, you know, that when you look at Captain America, the Winter Soldier and you talk about, well, it's a it's a political thriller. Yes, it is. But it's still very much a superhero movie, too, or still has the elements of a superhero movie that I really, really like. It still has enough of the superhero and, and comic booky elements to it uh, that I'm here for. Whereas Runaways in, in Cloak and Dagger, which I watched the first few episodes of it, and it just wasn't Marvel enough for me. It, mm-hmm. you know, it, has those, it has some elements, but it's not enough. It doesn't have the right balance of the Marvel comics and Marvel superhero material with whatever genre they're trying to mix in with. And both of these, Cloak and Dagger and Hulu, are very much teen drama shows. And I just don't... I, I can't really make time for... And, and I don't really need those teen drama shows in my life. And I don't say... I don't call them teen drama as a criticism. It's just to say that they're not for me. And, and it's okay that they're not for me. They just don't have enough of the other elements that would keep me interested outside of the teen drama as teen drama series. I actually think they're both very good and I think they're both compelling and I think they work. And I think that's why they have, they each have an audience and an audience that's very excited about seeing those shows cross over, uh, which is going to happen with cloak and dagger appearing on this, uh, the, the third season of runaways later on this year when it drops on Hulu. And so that's very exciting. And I'm very happy about that for all of the people who are fans of those shows. So I do think they're good shows, they're just not shows that really cater to what I'm looking for from a Marvel-based television series. But they do have an audience, and I do think they are well. These, these shows are well made, and I'm, I'm glad that there is an audience that's, that's enjoying them. And it sounds like they're going to be able to continue to enjoy them because so far there's no sign of either of these shows being canceled anytime soon. Yeah, and and you know obviously we're, we're close to wrapping up this episode, but. You know, for me, there's not much much for me to say other than other than the Runaways was a comic that I I, I just it's more recent comic. Uh, Brian K. Vaughn, I read I read the initial run. It's very very good, and it seemed like they were pretty much doing that beat for beat for beat for beat, which again is really cool. 
but I didn't love it. And it's not super comic booky or or super drenched in the the the, the MCU or and Marvel Marvelness that I need in order to keep watching something. So there was there was nothing in there that was over overtly like yes this is connected enough to where i'm going to see like super villains and things like that there was nothing really like that on there that drew me to watching the show and cloak and dagger for the most part is the same thing i watched the whole first season with the exception of the last episode and i didn't even watch it i just did not feel compelled to do it and it wasn't because it was a bad show it's again i kept anticipating them to become cloak and dagger and they're just still this bunch of kids in street clothes with him wearing like a garbage sack every once in a while and then them being like, I'm cloak. And it's like, eh. <laughs> I mean, like, it's just like, again, it's not, it wasn't bad, but I kept expecting to actually like get like good in a sense to where again, getting like, like the comic books, like cloak and dagger, especially cloak. Cloak is awesome. He looks amazing. And they're just not going to get to that point in the show. And it's because it, again, budgetary reasons and, and whatever. So, you know, for me, like Inhumans, all the stuff, it's like the Disney Plus shows. That's what I'm excited about. Give it, give me a legitimate connection and give me and let's give it like give those series the same kind of, um, you know, connection and, and budgets and whatnot to to make it connected to the MCU. And I think this is what we're going to get. I think Disney Plus is the, going to be that, that the foray into television and film connecting to each other in a way that we haven't seen before that we have like with star Wars and with Marvel now. So obviously we're going to get Captain America versus Baron Zemo and winter soldier for them. And that's going to be amazing. So that's what I'm most looking forward to. That's probably I'm of all the phase four. That might be my favorite thing to look forward to, to be honest, it's off, off top of my head, maybe next to Shane Chi. So there's lots of cool stuff. And I think if there's one thing that I'm, thankful for is these shows paved the way i think for disney plus and for marvel to cons- and kevin feige to consider would start connecting these tv shows and doing live action tv and, and do things we maybe couldn't do live act or do on from a film standpoint but let's do it on a tv series standpoint so i'm grateful for that i don't know if i would give these shows credit for opening that door i mean i think disney plus on its own opens that door and um you know because it was Disney, it was Bob Iger and other folks saying, hey, Marvel Studios, what can you do for us that I think got the ball rolling on some of this stuff? Because obviously there's a need for it. You know, they need to have original content on uh, on Disney Plus and they need Marvel Studios to supply some of that content. And I think they know just based on the declining viewership of the Netflix shows, as well as the only so-so ratings on any of the Marvel shows that actually air on television, you know, they're just good enough to keep the shows alive. But that's about it. And so, and I think for Disney, I mean, with Disney Plus, like they, if that's going to succeed, it has to be because it can't just be because there are shows made by Marvel Television or, or that are based on Marvel characters. It needs to be part of this franchise that is so popular with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So I think there's that, but also Marvel Studios is genuinely excited about it. And I think what Kevin Feige probably said is that. Because, you know, I mean, I don't think Kevin Feige just gets orders and then he does what he's told. He has a lot of autonomy. Uh, within the Disney organization. And I think the, the what the Disney Plus stuff affords Marvel Studios to do is set their own schedule in a way that, and, and have a brand new schedule in terms of how these shows, uh, you know, in terms of how these shows are made, in terms of, and also when these shows are made, that I think is so critical. Because as we talked about before, when you have a television series and it has all of these different things going on, and you have uh you know you have multiple seasons so by the time 
you're trying to incorporate season one of a television show or what happened in season one of a television show into your movie, they've already progressed further than that because they've already moved the story forward because of season two or whatever. So you don't have all these things moving at different speeds that you're trying to corral and sync up. That's not what's happening with the Disney Plus model. What you have instead is you have everything being pre-planned. So the series that are tying into phase four of the MCU they were planned that way from the beginning as Marvel Studios was developing Phase 4. So they already know ahead of time, how does WandaVision connect to the movies? Well, it's going to connect because we're going to have it come out in the spring of 2021. And then what happens in what happens to Wanda Maximoff in WandaVision is directly going to connect to, you know, that's going to inform her character as she then goes on to appear in that same, you know, that same season in May of 2021. Now Wanda's going to be in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, having just gone through whatever she went through in uh, in WandaVision, so it's going to be planned out. I, and 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 the same thing with you know Falcon and Winter Soldier presumably would inform you know obviously next time we see those characters, and then Hawkeye with Kate Bishop and all and Loki and whatever else. It's all pre-planned in terms of not only whether or not it's going to connect, but how it's going to connect, and how and and what the next step would be from the Disney Plus series, and because so far. Maybe this will change because Mandalorian, we already know, not only has a season one, but it's going to have a season two. I'm not going into this just assuming, though, that all of these Marvel Studios Disney Plus shows will get second seasons. So far, they have been described by Kevin Feige when he kept saying, the phrase he kept saying in Hall H was event series, as if it is this one event thing and then it moves on. So maybe instead of season two of WandaVision and season two of Loki and whatever. It's just another event series about a different character or a different combination of characters, Okoye, Valkyrie, Shuri, whoever else that we might meet in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Maybe some of these Eternals might get spun off into their own series on Disney+. Plus. So if everything is kind of pre-planned ahead of time in terms of its place in the phase, in terms of the timing of the overall MCU and what happens from there, that works. But it is still, I think, a limited model. And I think that's why it's, you know Marvel Studios, if it's going to be part of their universe, they want to be the ones making it. And they still only have so much time to make movies and Disney Plus series. So I don't know if we're ever really going to get to a point where we're going to have everything be connected. I think the next era of Marvel television will have kind of two things to it. You know, It will kind of go in, yeah. into two categories. There's the Marvel Studios produced stuff for Disney Plus. That is strongly, directly connected to the MCU. And then everything that Marvel Television is doing, and so far, most of that appears to be going towards Hulu. That's where the Ghost Rider series is going to be. That's where the Hellstrom series is going to be. And they've also got some animated series that they're doing over there. They're doing, what, Hitmonkey and Howard the Duck and MODOK. And isn't there a Squirrel Girl uh, a Squirrel Girl and White Tiger show, I think, is another one of those? Like, Somewhat, yeah. So they have that, but that stuff is going to be made. And, and I think with that stuff being made by Marvel Television over on Hulu is that it's all being... And Marvel Television is also doing some unscripted stuff for Disney+. Plus. We haven't heard of any scripted series that they're doing for Disney+. Plus. But because... The, I, I think the great thing about it going forward and why I'm very hopeful about it is every series kind of gets to know what it needs to be and what its purpose is going forward. You won't have this situation, the kind of this breakdown that we have had, even though overall I think this first era of Marvel television of these for these past six years and that will won't officially end until I, I think Agents of Shield comes to a close next year. 
But what I think is what will be beneficial, though, is that you won't have that breakdown midway through where things that might have been originally conceived as being part of a broader story or part of a bigger universe don't ultimately turn out to be all that, you know, all that influential or, or don't even really turn out to, to effectively be a part of that universe. I don't think that happens in this new era. I think you have stuff that by design from Marvel Studios is, gets to be part of the bigger universe. And you have other stuff coming from Marvel Television on Hulu and wherever else they put content, whether that's FX because Disney owns FX now, or if it's on Hulu or they continue to do more shows for Freeform. I don't really anticipate any more Marvel Television on ABC. But wherever Marvel Television puts their content, I, I think what it will it won't be tied in the MCU, but they'll know that they'll know that ahead of time and so it will never be designed with the worry of how will this connect to the universe they might connect their shows together like they're doing with cloak and dagger and runaways like we know like you can be sure they'll do with ghost rider and hellstrom but it, they will be connected in their own little bubble in their own little pocket marvel universe without necessarily having to worry about uh the the big the much bigger mcu and nor does the bigger mcu have to worry about those shows either so i think that because Every series will have a, a much clearer idea of, uh, and, and the people running those series will have a much better idea of what exactly their show is going to be and what exactly it's connecting to, if it's connecting anything at all. Um, it just allows more cre- and more consistency in the creative division, in the in terms of the creative vision all along. And so, I, I think this initial era of Marvel Television has been a success, but I think the next era will be even better. Well said. Well said. And the quick side, I know we didn't really mention the the mutant stuff. Obviously, you know, I think they had a pretty successful run with Legion on FX. Marvel Television did. They started doing more television stuff and partnering up with Fox on Mutant Side. That was also something timing-wise that seemed to coincide with uh, the Marvel Studios split from the rest of Marvel Entertainment. But Legion was, I think, a success story. The Gifted on Fox, at least it ran for two seasons before and it, uh, it eventually got canceled. But... Just in case anybody's wondering if I think uh, or if we're thinking Gifted was canceled because of the Fox deal, I don't. It was a it was a fringe show. It was on the bubble. It it, it almost didn't get a second season, and the ratings really weren't great in season two. And so I think that's ultimately why it uh, why it was canceled. But overall, I, I I still like I said think this era for Marvel Television was a win. But the next one will be uh, even better. That's where we're gonna wrap up this episode of the Marvel Studios News Podcast. Thanks, as always, for listening. Make sure you keep up with us in all the usual spots. That's Facebook and Instagram at Marvel Studios News and on Twitter at Marvel Newscast. You can also check out the website, marvelstudiosnews.com. And again, you can see more opportunities for uh, exclusive content as well as our Discord community over at patreon.com slash News. Paul, where can they keep up with you? Keep me. Uh, you can keep up with me on Twitter at Herman22 with two N's, aka P Thug. Also, see me on Instagram. That's at Herman22 with two N's as well, Paul Herman. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Sean Gerber, Sean spelled S E A N. You can also hear me representing Marvel Studios News on the latest episode, on a couple of new podcasts that came out over the past week on Countdown City Geekcast. I was a guest on their show talking about Marvel Studios and Hall H. Uh, I was also on the latest episode of WDW Radio with Lou Mangello. Uh, Lou's a great guy, was kind enough to invite me to be on the show to talk about the Marvel Studios Hall H stuff as well. So if you want to hear me on those shows, you can do that and we've also got a new episode of fandalorians our star wars podcast with my good buddy john beerley uh that's going to be on the way this week so keep an eye out for that as well but for now anyway for paul i'm sean thanks for listening we'll see you next time 